Um, so this week, normally I like to preach in series, you know, like take a long time to really get into a subject. I think the last series I did was 27 ver- like weeks long. This is just one. I just get one week to share with a, a standalone message with you. It's not part of a series, um, but I think it really tracks along well with what some of the guest speakers have been talking about with forgiveness and mercy and treating other, one another with the love that Jesus would have wanted us to. And so this week we're going to be talking about some of the more inspiring but challenging teachings in the book of Romans. In chapter 12, Paul gives us a good, really uh, inspiring insight into what community can feel like when the love of Jesus is flowing through our veins. So we're going to talk about that this week. Um, and one of the main things that we realize when we, we read this is that if we're going to be uh, Christians like Jesus would want us, if we're going to be a community that reflects Jesus' love, we must learn to honor everyone we encounter. Like that's what like, the whole main point of Romans chapter 12. We have to learn to honor every single person that we encounter. And this can be challenging. Uh, so I'm going to open this up. Uh, for us today. And, and the book of Romans, by the way, was written 2,000 years ago. It's old. It's really old stuff, but it's just as relevant today for us. Uh, they were struggling with their relationships and showing love back then, just the way we struggle today. So it's going to be relevant. It's going to be good, Romans, Romans 12. But first, um, you know, I want to just share a little bit about um, the fact that to give this kind of love to give the love like Jesus is impossible on our own strength. In our human strength, it's impossible to do what Paul's going to ask us to do. We need Jesus and his power and the power of the Holy Spirit for us to get there. Um, and like when, when I talk to people who come in as a pastor, you know, when I talk to people who are coming in to do, to, they just need someone to talk with, I give some pastoral care, some spiritual guidance. Usually when people who are there and they're self-aware and they want to be better versions of themselves and they want to grow, usually they're talking about one of three things. They're talking about their own flaws, the flaws of others, and the helplessness in the face of these flaws. You know, like there's, they say, look, like I struggle so much with the desires of my heart and I can't control them and they're out of control and they continue to ruin my life. The things that I want to do, I just can't. And the things that I don't want to do, I just seem to do over and over and over again. You know, I'm an angry person. I just keep yelling. I've got a flaw that I can't get over. And they're just struggling with that and the way that it's hurting their life and ruining the life of those around them. It's either that or they're going to be talking about the flaws that other people are having that, that are hurting them, you know, like, or the, especially the people they love. I just, you know, my, my son, some, some people might say, my son, you know, just can't quite stop falling for married women. Or, you know, my daughter just can't quite get out of her addiction. You know, it's like there's, and our hearts break for the ones we love who just are stuck in their flaws. And then there's the helplessness. Like, we just can't get out of these things. We've done every, everything humanly possible to try to change, but nothing happens. And we've done everything humanly possible to try to help the people we love, but we just can't get them out of the thing they're stuck in. And this is what we call sin sickness. We're stuck. We're stuck in our sin sickness. And what happens is um, these... Um, you might, you know, these, these issues that we have, the things that we struggle with, when, they, when two people 
come together with their sin sickness. It's just danger waiting to happen. I know I, I, I like this because it's, it, it shows the conflict, but what I really wanted to show, it was just a little bit too gruesome, but I want to show you see these pictures. You can Google it online if you have got the stomach for it. You see these pictures of, of deer, uh, you know, the bucks with the longhorns who've grappled with each other, and they get stuck, and they can't get free. And there's a picture online of three deer stuck with their antlers that have drowned in a, in a, in a shallow pool. And it's a powerful image of the human condition and the way things can go. Um, and so here's the thing. As we struggle with these things, the average person is regularly thrown into chaos in their lives because of these dynamics, because of sin sickness, because of the things which we cannot um, get at. But any good religion, any good spirituality is going to have some sort of answer for this problem. And, and I believe Christianity and the Jesus way has some of the best answers that get to the deep bottom of this problem, which is the human heart and the need for the human heart itself to change at its very depths. Christianity offers transformation of heart in the deepest places. So um, setting this up for us, uh, the Apostle Paul, okay, he wrote this letter to uh, people 2,000 years ago, probably the late 50s AD. He wrote this letter to people who are dealing with this stuff, the same as we do. And in this letter, um, he's talking about real people with broken hearts, uh, and it's a masterpiece. It's difficult. It's a really tough nut to crack. If you ever tried to read the book of Romans, it's just after Acts. And it's really not a book. It's more of a letter uh, of, of Paul writing to people who are struggling with all of this sin sickness stuff. And so um, I've gotten a little on the inside of this stuff. So I'm going to try to give us a little bit of an overview, a run up to chapter 12. And really, Paul is talking about sin sickness. I like this picture here because it gets at the golden calf story of the Old Testament of where God's freed people couldn't for one month not worship an idol. And it's got our skyscrapers in the background. I love that. Um, so sin sickness, it's like a spiritual disease. Another way of saying this is when, when we're sin sick in our spirit, it's like we're walking zombies, thinking like walking dead, right? We're around the world ready to devour each other at a moment's notice instinctually. Like that's what's inside of us as human beings. Um, it's like we're walking zombies ready to devour. And sadly, because of this, because of this sickness and because of the way we hurt each other, we are enemies of God, who is the God of life and of wholeness and good relationship. And God showed up, uh, I guess it was, what, uh, 2000, like almost 3,000 3, years ago, God showed up to a people who he had just rescued from slavery. He comes up on a mountain and he speaks with his voice. I'm talking like you could hear his voice to a million people. And not even that. And not, he gave them his very mind. He said, if you heard the Ten Commandments, that's where that began. God spoke his audibly to a million people trying to say, here's my mind. Here's how to do this life. Love each other. Here's my way. But not even that could get at the sin sickness of the human heart. Because a people who have been slaves to, to sin need their heart changed at the deepest levels. But it's the same today. 
It's the same. People are sin-sick. They really wouldn't change their ways if God showed up and spoke to them. This is a a Hieronymus Bosch painting from the 1400s. I just love the way that it portrays sin-sickness. I mean, look at the expressions. You all know them. You know people who, you know, are so miserly and their heart heart of heart. You know people who just can't stop being um, tempted by an evil evil entity. You know... um, you know this person who's doing the photo bomb down here? Probably the painter going, oh, look at all of this craziness. Um, it's, it's no different today than 1,400, than 3,000 years ago. Human beings struggle with sin sickness, and it's a problem. Uh, and here in the middle of it all is this guy whose eyes are closed. He has a crown of thorns, and there's a cross on his back. Because 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was killed and murdered on the cross, and when he rose from the dead, something dramatically changed. Okay, I'm telling you the story of Romans. I'm going through Romans, if you don't know. Uh, I'm just putting it in vernacular. Something dramatically changed. One act of selfishness, way back at the beginning of the human story, started this all. One bite from an apple started this whole thing. But one act of selfless love on the cross changed it all again, made it possible for humans in slavery to sin and sin sickness to be free, really free. And it's in Christ, it's in Jesus, it's in this act which makes us unchained, really free to do what we want to do, really free to say no to the things that we want to say no to. The power to be changed at the deepest levels of the human heart. That's what changed. Now, Paul said this as he was talking through his his book. Paul said this, humans, um, humans, when they're free in Christ, they can go back into sin all they want. They're free to do that. But what's different now is that they're not chained there. They can walk out of that at any time without any consequences. And so here's the thing. We need the power of Christ to get out of our sin sickness. And um, when Paul gets to chapter 12, he finally gets to this place. I mean, this is what Paul is saying through Romans. He finally gets to this place where he says, y'all are free now. You're not, you're not chained up to that sin sickness. You can choose to live a free life as slaves to goodness rather than slaves to evil. That's the the promise. And here's the thing. This is what a community of freed ex-slaves should look like. Okay? That's where we're going here. This is what a community of freed ex-slaves looks like. And I'm going to read it for us here. Love must be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. He goes on. Bless those who persecute. By the way, this is, there's 23 pieces of advice in here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, which means super proud. 
Don't be super prideful, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And he finishes, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And Paul is quoting from the book of Proverbs here. That's a quote. Um, there's so many more pieces of good advice in Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15. Check it out. I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. He's saying this is what a community of freed ex-slaves to sin looks like. And he finishes off, if we didn't get the point, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Evil can be overcome. The heart can change. We need the power of Christ. We need him in us but it can change. <laughs> I love this picture. It kind of sums it up. Love is caring for each other even when you're angry. And the main point is this. We can change. We can change in our hearts deeply. And if we're going to change the whole direction of this massive shipwreck of human civilization... We're going to need a community of people whose hearts are changed enough to be able to do this love thing. It's not easy. This is what it looks like. This is what love really is. Now, uh, so what I'm going to do for the rest of the time here is I'm going to go dive down into four of the 23 pieces of advice. I'm going to, I picked four, and I'm going to just try to, to sort of go slowly, deeply through them. Um, here they are. Honor one another above yourselves. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. And tend to your enemies with real care. I'm just going to just let those sink in for a moment. Because just like in real life, when you try to start picking these apart and going deeper into these, it gets complicated. It gets tricky and tough. And I'm going to give some examples here. And it might get might get tricky. <laughs> I'm just going to just let, let this sink in for a second because like, who, who's coming to your mind when you read these things? Who, who are the people that you should honor above yourself? Who are the people of low position in your life that you need to associate with? Is it the person that you walk by every day? Is it someone you work with? Is it someone in your family? Who, who are, who's cursing you? Who in your life throws curses at you that you need to bless? Um, who, who are your enemies? Who are the people who, who are just, you revile, you hate them so much? I'm sure, you, maybe you're thinking already of these people. And I could probably just be done now and you guys would probably get something out of this <laughs> and be able to go home because these teachings are so poignant. So just take that in. Who are the people that are coming to your mind? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to put this in a more memorable kind of progression here. Honor those who you have no reason not to like. Honor those who are not like you. Honor those who do not like you. And honor those who you may really, really not like. Okay? 
And, and we kind of pat ourselves on the back, don't we? Oh, yeah, I can do these. I do fine with these, don't I? You know, maybe the first two. Yeah, the, the, I can generally honor those who have no reason not to like. It generally goes okay. People who aren't like me, I'm pretty good at that. Uh, those who do not like me, oh, like who really doesn't like you? Like we're good at boxing them out of our lives. We're good at ignoring them and rejecting them. But are we good at blessing them? And then finally we get to this one. Um, those who you really, really, really do not like. Yeah, we're, again, we're good at rejecting and boxing out on. But do you feed them? That's what Paul says. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Okay, and then we can just admit we, we really are not good at this. But Paul says we can do this. We can be the people who can do this in the power of Jesus. Um, so here we go. I'm going to just try to dive deep into this here, and you can see what fits. Um, Honor those who we have no reason not to like. Uh, we're cranky enough most days to where we usually just sort of think about ourselves, right? Think about our needs, think about our wants. But on a, on a good day, on a really, really good day, we can think about others before us. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. The great thing about this is we get chances every day to practice, don't we? Like, uh, my daughter Autumn plays soccer in this little kid's soccer league, and uh, She's like uh, two girls on her team, three little boys, and she calls the one of the boys the ball hog. She knows it, and she's right. He just takes the ball every time, never passes, always misses. Always. And so she just labels him the ball hog. And we all know the ball hog, you know, who does not honor other people before themselves. They're just going to do whatever they want, whatever they need, whenever they need it. For them. <laughs> They're not good at this. Uh, well, here's the thing. In this... Um, in this little uh, league, we're, we're over at John Jumbo. I don't know if we know where that is, but the parking is atrocious. Like, there's no parking, and there's tons of kids over there. And so you get there, um, and we, we play from 6.30 to 7.30, but there's already a group of hundreds of kids playing from 5.30 to 6.30, and the parking lot's full. You get there, and you have to wait in line. And it's an easy thing. You, the whole group, you know, of the first flight of people start trickling off the field. They pull out. The first person in line pulls in. Okay, simple enough, right? So two weeks ago, I was sitting there, first person in line, proud of myself for this. I'm going to be able to park and get a good spot. And up comes this white pickup truck cutting the line. And um, I give him a gesture, and it wasn't, it wasn't the, the, the royal gesture. It wasn't the royal one. But I did this, like, what the heck do you think you're doing? I'm first, like, fall in line, right? And then the, the, you could see it in his eyes. His eyes got really big, put in reverse, and went back. I felt, I felt like, so good about myself, right? Uh, and, and then I read this verse. I'll outdo one another in showing honor. And you could tell, like, I'm talking about the instincts of the heart. The thing which I would instinctively do would be like, this is my spot. I'm here first. Back away. I had no idea what that person was dealing with or what was in their mind. I just gave them the gesture to let them know that my honor was more than theirs. Uh, what I should have done is I should have said, go on, you know, go ahead. And they would have probably gone ahead and parked. I should have outdone that person in showing honor, you see. Uh, we get a chance to practice this all the time. Like, um, uh, 
we were at uh, Hillcrest Park this weekend with, with, uh, with Autumn, and you know there's the really neat um, saucer kind of swing there. You've seen these maybe. They, it's like a saucer a bunch of kids can sit on, and they're, they're connected with ropes up this way, and you can push them, and they kind of go like this. The kids love them. We were there waiting for 15 minutes to get on that saucer, uh, and, and Autumn kept saying, whispering to me, do you think they're ever going to get off? You think they're going to get off the saucer? And their grandma was there pushing them. Grandma, it was like 15 minutes, and they took 15 minutes on this thing. And we were clearly waiting for the saucer. <laughs> and so we had to go. Lunch was ready. And as we're leaving, no joke, the little girl says to her grandma, Grandma, do you think we're the only ones in this park? And I wanted to say, you're acting like it. You know, like, <laughs> get off the... Okay, we all know what this feels like. That's the it's kid versions, but the adult, we, all, we, we do it too. We have our versions of showing ourselves honor. And what this means is, how do we care more about someone, their wants rather than our wants, their needs rather than our needs? Um, this can be like taking the last place in line. This can be cleaning things up that need to be cleaned up. But what it's almost like we, what we do inside of our hearts when we're doing this well, when we outdo one another in showing honor, is we say, you are more worthy than I am. We may not believe that. We may think we're of equal worth. But we act as if you have more worth than me, more right to whatever you need. That's what it is. Um, so how about when we get in arguments or misunderstandings with people, how about we care more about what they heard than what we really said? How many times do we think, yeah, well, here's what I really said. They took it and twisted it. How about you care more about what they heard than what you said and work from that vantage point and outdo and show an honor? Um, how about not to make assumptions about people who we know nothing about? Make, we make little caricatures of who we think they are and we revile them at home and make fun of them rather than really coming to terms with what they may be struggling with and what they may be overcoming in their life. They may be an awful version of themselves right now, but we don't know what they're overcoming. We outdo each other's showing honor. How about this one? This I'll just give this as a last little example. How about we actually ask other people for their advice and actually listen to what they have to say and actually do it? That's a way of showing honor. How do you think I should do this? Um, none of you have done this, but I can't count the number of times um, that someone gives me advice on how to parent Ethan. And my 12-year-old my is 10, year old, 10 years older than their, their kid. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, uh, how about asking other people for advice? How do you do life? Tell me about, um, in conversation, tell me about what you know. And then actually act on it. Could that be a version of outdoing one another and showing honor? Um, so it's kind, of, it's kind of easier, right, to show honor to those who give us no reason not to like them. But Paul also says, honor those who you are not like. He says, love one another with mutual affection. Don't be super proud, which is haughty, but associate with the lowly. Paul's using the, a word here that uh, connects with the Hebrew word anawim, which is a Hebrew word for saying the lowly, the humble, the people who have no high status, the people who may, we may see as disgusting, or the people who we may see as dirty. 
Now, here's the thing. I've never met anyone in my life who thinks of themselves as the lowest on the rung. People may feel disadvantaged, but usually they feel higher than the people who are advantaged. <laughs> people, feel, people don't normally feel like the lowest on the rung. Uh, so what I think this means for a community like, like, like ours is there may be apparent class distinctions among us, but we don't treat each other accordingly. We, we, we learn to honor those who we're not like. And I say it like that. I could say it the other way around, honor those who aren't like you. But even putting it this way gets us out of selfish thinking and reminding their difference, their uniqueness, is just as valid as yours. So people who aren't like, who's not like you? Who are the people who you don't quite understand? Uh, associate with them. It's like in a room like this, in about... Two minutes after the service ends, it becomes kind of a social space for people to hang out, get to know each other, catch up with people that they haven't seen in a while. And usually what happens in human nature is we go to the people we're attracted to. We're attracted to someone or attracted to what they look like or how they speak or what their story is or what they do for a living. And we, like magnets, are attracted to the people who we think we really, really want to be around. Paul says Christians should flip that magnetism on its head. And you should go, you should be attracted to people who you uh, know you're not like. People who, um, people who you may feel uncomfortable around, people who you may not understand or know. Those are the people who Christians go up to and act like they're the most important person in the room. That's how that works. And extend that to your workplace and in your family reunions and so on and so on. Uh, Associate with the lowly. And you can't be super prideful if you're going to do this. Recognize um, that everyone has the same worth. Um, I was going to go on a little bit here about uh, the Eucharist meal in 1 Corinthians. And, and the, problem, the problem with the uh, that Paul was dealing with in 1 Corinthians was that people thought they were more important and had better position, so they got the communion first. And then there was nothing left for the people of low status. I'm going to skip that because of time. It's good stuff. I'll come back to it someday. Um, so if we can honor people who have given us no reason not to like them, if we can honor people who uh, aren't like us, we're also called to honor people who don't like us. Okay, now we're getting down to some tough stuff. Who are the people who, you know, really don't like you? Who throw curses at you? That's what he says. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. We can do this as Christians. Um, now, when Paul talks about cursing, he's not talking about explicit language. He's not like people throwing the F-bombs at you. That's not, I mean, maybe that's a version of this. But when he's talking about cursing, he's talking about people who say ill things about you, people who wish you unwell, those kind, that kind of thing. Um, uh, anyone who wishes ill on us or mocks us or diminishes us in any way. I was uh, driving by a high school uh, this last week, and there was a, a parking lot full of cars of the high school, last couple weeks of high school for kids, and on this orange car was spray painted, I am so gay. Someone had come overnight and spray painted this curse. It was meant to cut deep uh, into this person's identity. Um, 
this is cursing, right? So um, I don't know if you saw the brawl online this week between the, the, the dads of the little leaguers. You know, like that's cursing went on there. Um, part of growing up in a sin-sick world is coming to terms with realizing humans do this to each other on an explicit, uh, deeply hurtful basis and on a shallow basis. Um, sometimes we rarely curse each other to each other's face. But let's, let's, ev- e- let's come to terms. Even s- your good friends probably say things that would hurt you behind your back, <laughs> except, your, except to your face. I mean, this is how humans interact. This is what we do. We curse each other, naturally. Um, but here's the thing. We have a chance as Christians to stop the cursing cycle. We can stop it. Um, we can learn to turn our curses into blessings. Um, so I wanted to talk just a little bit about cursing. Like, here's, here's what it's, it's like. It happens internally, um, oftentimes. And we say about our spouse or our friends or, or the people who, who we don't like, say things like, oh, they're such a complainer. Oh, they're such a terrible human. Oh, you're a grump. You're a loser. Uh, you'll never succeed. And anytime we think those things and deep in our hearts, we curse someone. And I believe they have real life impact. Um, we all walk around with the things that we've been labeled with. And we all walk around with the things that hurt us deeply. And some of us, whether we like it or not, wear it on our sleeves. And the people around us very quickly can feel that. And, we can very, and people very quickly can start cursing us in those ruts that we get into in our life. I think it happens in marriages all the time. We become aware of the, the deepest issues, and instead of blessing them, we just, oh, I curse you for this. You are such a this. You are such a that. That's cursing. But blessing is completely different. Blessing is you're a survivor. You're a hero. You are beautiful. You are smart, and you deserve so much more than life has offered to you. That's blessing. And we can do those things internally, and we catch ourselves I, I was um, talking to a guy once who talked about the problem of lust. He's like, I walked through an airport and I just see a beautiful woman and my mind would go to the spot. And he realized that any time, every time he would lust after this woman, he was cursing her. There was a cursing happening. And so he decided, you know, this pr- person probably receives this kind of thing. If they're walking down the hallway, you know, and they've, they're dressed to the T and they get noticed, this person probably receives this kind of thing in the spiritual world all the time. Rather than that, I'm going to bless them. The opposite. If I'm going to come up with a, a word, like, like a bad word for, for someone, I'm going to find the opposite, and I'm going to tell them in my mind that they're that. And this happens. We can learn to turn our cursing into blessing. And this is oftentimes implicit, but it can be explicit. We can tell each other encouraging things about each other. You're loved. You're an amazing person at this. And we should do that way, way more than we do. Um, but here's the thing. Free people in Jesus bless each other, even when they're cursed. Even when they know cursing comes their way, they do it, they respond with blessing. So um, implicitly, sometimes it feels a little bit like, um, like a prayer. Here's someone who I know or I imagine is saying bad things about me. I'm going to now imagine them, and internally I'm going to whisper good things about them. Um, is there, is there someone who really comes at you and rubs you the wrong way? And uh, you know that they, um, they're having a rough time in life. You just bless them. Would you, Father, would you give them 
what they need? Would you give them the, the resources they need? Would you help them to f- fulfill the desires of their heart? You pray for the people who persecute you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus' way. And we can do this. And we have the opportunity. Free people bless others even when they're cursed. Last thing to say about this is forgiveness. Carolyn talked beautifully about forgiveness last week. Real forgiveness, not cheap forgiveness. Um, Go back online and listen to that. Uh, I've been thinking about forgiveness lately because there can be cheap versions of forgiveness. But what is the fruit of real forgiveness? When do you know you've really forgiven someone? I think it's when you can bless them. They've hurt me. They've done me wrong. But God, just help them to be blessed today. Help them to have what they need and, and, um, and feel the encouragement they need. Like that is that's Jesus. That's the core. And it's very difficult to do. And I think we'll find many times, as we'll finally we'll finish off with this, we'll find many times that the people who we think are cursing us probably really aren't that bad anyway. We, we think worse of what people think about us oftentimes than what's, what's real, really happening. So we bless those who curse us. The final thing is this, and I'm going to wrap up with this. There's so much to say about this that I can't even begin to scratch the surface. And it's already 1140. Time's ticking. There's so much to say about this. Honor those who you may really, really, really not like. Okay? This is where the rubber meets the road. Are we a disciple of Jesus or not? And if we are, we do this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but be overcome evil with good. Evil can be overcome, friends. Enemies can become friends, too. Uh, And the possibility of this really is only in Christ. I mean, you see it in the world around us. People are at war with one another. And the basic point is this. I asked you before to think about someone who that may affect or that you may be thinking of. Now I'm asking you to think of someone who you might despise like the person who shall not be named in your presence. Like if you hear their name, you writhe a little bit. Um, if, you, um, if, you, if you're around them, your whole day is ruined. An enemy, someone who is an enemy. Think about this person. Tears your insides out to think about them. You know if you had gotten into a conversation, it would quickly turn into a battle. All of our common wisdom says, attack, malnourish, make them weaker, make them feel bad, uh, overcome them. But Paul's point is this, because we're in the business of reconciliation. That's our business. The point is this, find their basic needs and meet them. Find their basic needs and meet them. Oh, there's so much more to say here. I'm just going to let you read chapter 12 of Romans and get out what, what you will. Um, doing this is less like random acts of kindness in your life and more like one person said, any twinge of hatred that comes up, I replace with blessing. I replace with trying to find out what they might need. And that's what's expected. And if, if we, friends, think we can go out and change the world... If we think we can go out and change the world around us, help people see God's love, help build for his kingdom, uh, overturn the racisms and the evils of our day, 
if we think we can do any of that without first being able to do that in this room, in this space, with each other, we're deluded. <laughs> and this is where it begins. This is where we start to learn what Christ-like love really feels like. Uh, clothe yourselves, Paul will say in chapter 14. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. If you want this for your life, you need Jesus. You need him in it. I'm going to give us just a few, um, a few uh, practical things here. And then we'll be done. In your life, in small things like in parking lots and on playgrounds, learn to treat other people as if they're more worthy. In social settings, release your need to talk with a person who you're really attracted to. I'm going to be worried if a lot of people come up and talk to me today. You're the one I'm not attracted to, and I'm going to try, I'm going to talk. I'm be really nervous. Um, really listen to others. I mean, check your shallow judgments of them at the door. You really may not be know what someone else is overcoming. Okay. Bless other people, write encouraging words, and pray blessings on people. Take a notepad, name the person in your life who shall not be named, pray for their well-being, and ask yourself, what can I do this week to offer an olive branch? What are their basic needs? How can I help meet one of them? Do this, all of the above, in your home groups. Home groups, my friends, are the, the most fertile ground to practice all this on because you're with other people who you may not be like. And on social media, especially on social media, practice these things. Remember that unless you are actively devoted to Jesus, none of this will be possible. And read Romans 12 through 15 and see what hits you. What kind of small steps can you take this week? They shall beat their swords into plowshares. The great Isaiah promise of, of, of Christ-like people. I'm not sure what's hitting you today. I know this, this is a lot. I've given you a, a bit of a buffet here to feast on. Uh, but here's what you can trust. The small stirrings in your heart, the things that are really sticking out to you, are likely there because the God of the universe is with us, and he's speaking to your heart. Um, and if you, if you, for the first time today, have heard some of this stuff, and you really, really need to talk some, to someone, let me know. Um, uh, and especially if you need to know what it is to be devoted to, be, to Jesus. Because it's our devotion to him. It's our, it's our being his disciples, which frees us from our sin, sin, sin sickness, which allows us to become transformed deeply at the human heart. And if you need help with that, we can help you. Uh, for those of you who are on that journey or have been on that journey, I invite you to take whatever it is that's on your heart today, whatever it is that God has spoken to you, and respond. You can come up, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and, um, and um, ingest it. Uh, and we have a few songs left here to sing in which you can pray to God, you can pray blessings over people. You might come up and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and think of your enemy and try to bless them as you, um, as you take this in. But what this represents is Jesus' body, the bread, and his blood, the juice, poured out for us. He said, at every time you gather, or every time you do this, do this in memory of me, the one who hung on the cross in the middle of a sin-sick world 
and won for us the freedom to have our hearts deeply transformed. That's what this is about, to remind us, because it's so easy to forget. Uh, so whatever it is, I invite you forward. The table here is set, and everyone is welcome.